Hi, and welcome to Women in Philanthropy. This is a podcast about and by women working in philanthropic giving. Grant makers, fundraisers, executive directors, researchers, advisors. You can't always see behind the scenes in philanthropic giving, and that means you can't see who enables this giving. My name is Michelle Fugel-Gartner. I'm a philanthropic practitioner and researcher. My doctoral research demonstrated that most of what we know about working in philanthropic giving is told to us through a male point of view. This podcast offers the opportunity to hear from women working in giving. The idea for a podcast was inspired by having dim sum with my friends and talking about our roles in philanthropy, our challenges, and our thoughts. Each 15-minute episode will connect you with a woman in philanthropy. You'll hear about her role, how she got there, and how it enables giving. You'll also hear her thoughts on issues such as worth, negotiation, and influence. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you are a woman working in philanthropy and would like to share your story, please get in touch. And now, our woman in philanthropy. The Women in Philanthropy podcast is generously sponsored by the Voluntary Sector Studies Network. VSSN promotes understanding of the UK voluntary sector through research and provides a voice and a meeting place for voluntary sector researchers in the UK. Membership is invited from academics and practitioners. For more information, look at the website www.vssn.org.uk. everybody and welcome back to Women in Philanthropy. We are on episode 11. Thank you so much for all of your support during season one. Today I'm very excited. We have two guests with us, Philippa Cornish and Ashley Cashmore. They are going to share their roles in philanthropy and importantly, they're going to speak to us about how they work together in those roles. So let's kick off with either one of you. Feel free to jump in first. What is your role in philanthropy? Hi, Michelle. Thanks so much for having us. Um, My role in philanthropy. Well, I work with corporate clients on their corporate giving. Um, And what that breaks down to is we provide the infrastructure for them to do their corporate giving in a safe and tax effective way. But what we also do is provide them the advice on how to do that. Um, And when we say corporate giving, I guess I mean right from employee giving, employee engagement, engaging customers, um, right to the actual donation of, of, of profit to, to good causes. And so how did you come into that? I mean, is that something that you yeah. have to do? <laughs> Not a very traditional route. Um, I actually come from a more commercial background. I spent eight years at a PLC here in the UK, um, which was a travel company. Uh, and I did a variety of different roles. Uh, but the latter role uh, before I left was in the strategy and planning team. So working on five-year plans and ensuring that the business, which was a billion euros in profit, met uh, its shareholder promises. Um, And so after a while, I think, and a few cycles of that planning stage, this sort of focus on shareholder primacy began to sort of sit a bit differently with me as I saw like the impact of that on how 
what that did to a business. Um, it, like there are benefits, but but also like the downsides. And so I was looking for a different kind of role and looking to get into, I guess, like the nonprofit sector and really didn't know a way in or how what I my experience had been would be useful. Um, and so I started by moving to CAF in a role that was quite commercial. So I had a role that looked at projects on our pricing and looked at our relationships with third parties and just tried to, I guess, commercialize a little bit more what we were doing. So that was just a neat fit and a neat bridge from my original role into the sector. I think it's such a great story because a lot of people come and wonder how they can move into this sector and wonder how their skills can be transferable. A little while ago, we had Anna talk about moving from engineering into the nonprofit mm-hmm. sector and the mm-hmm. way that she applied her skills. So I think this is really a great story for people who are listening to think, how can I do this? How can I move? Well, there are transferable skills. You're moving from shareholders to stakeholders, mm-hmm. but obviously some of the roles are very, very similar. Um, Ashling, I wanted to shift to you. What is your role in philanthropy? So I think if you fundamentally break it down, I think what I do is I help people and organizations to think about impact and, and I suppose more specifically how to deploy philanthropic capital with more effectively and more impactfully. And so I think what's interesting is is what I do sits really on the intersection between the goals of funders, but also the needs of charities. So a lot of it is helping funders be more impactful and effective, but also helping charities and social enterprises build resilience and sustainability. So um, within within CAF, because I work with Philippa, um, I, I head up the team that we have an ex- a team of experts, so 20 experts in social investment, in grant making and in, in advisory. And so really what we what we do is use kind of innovative, evidence-led approaches to try and really connect those goals of funders and the needs of charities and amplify the voices of the charity sectors. And so similar question for you. I mean, this is a really intersecting role and we'll we'll get into that in a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, tell me, how, how did this happen for you? Did you create this role? Did you find this role? I think the philanthropy sector is full of people who've had very atypical ways of getting into what it is that they're doing. And I'd say that the key, the quick key way I got into this line of work and how I got there is is literally through persuasion. I would say, um, you know, I like Philippa started in a in a much more traditional um, sector. I, I used to work in um, communications consultancy, so I worked in both agency and in house, and predominantly in in financial services. And really was dying to do something that had more purpose and and struggling to find my route in there and and managed to find the job that I wanted, which at the time was um, philanthropy advisor advisory role within a within a private bank, and basically just used you know sheer grit and persuasion and perseverance to convince um, you know what became my boss at the time that I was the right person to take on. And I think what really helped again talking about those. Um, you know, those skills, those transferable skills. I'd always been client facing. I'd always had an advisory consultancy mm-hmm. function. So transfer, you know, I understood, you know, how to how to help a client, how to help them find solutions, how to help them think about the problems. So it was really about then upskilling myself when it came to the sector and, and how philanthropy worked, but applying what I already knew about about consultancy and advisory. 
I want to get back again to this um, intersection and this idea of working with stakeholders and communicating and client facing. But before that, you had mentioned upskilling. And I was wondering for both of you, did you do anything particular when you came into the nonprofit sector? Any courses, any, any informal learning, any networks or imagining what this is about? Did you do any of that? I'm, I'm so embarrassed to say that from the outside, I had no idea how complex and intellectual and, uh, I don't know, difficult the sector was. I thought I've worked in like a multilingual international corporate, like how different can it be? Uh, but obviously everything from like the powers, the the exchange, the stakeholders are so, so different. So my preparation amounted to listening to some very good TED Talks and then throwing myself in at the deep end. Um, yeah. Subsequently, since being in the role, I've had the chance to do some upskilling and I really do try and because we're not a typical charity, like throw myself into situations where I can be part deeper within the sector. But yeah, no, I should have definitely done more <laughs> I think don't be embarrassed. I, don't I think, think this is, is important I think it's important to I'm, say that it's opaque the sector's hard to see it's hard yeah, to so understand hard. so and yeah. Philip, I don't think you should be too hard on yourself because I don't think there is actually anything that really exists there's no sort of set sure. format or menu of training that you can say okay I want to get into this sure. sector and I would like to upskill myself there's no you know I suppose if you wanted to become an accountant, you could go and do an accountancy degree or diploma. But when it comes to philanthropy, and I think that was definitely the case for me, I literally had to create my own training, my own sort of Mm self-directed study. So for me, it was just, it was about finding my way. You know, you're in the dark and obviously I had guidance from from my colleagues, but, you know, look, reading everything you can, attending things, actually, like you say, throwing yourself in the deep end. I, I don't think there is you know, so you have to be that type of person that wants to, you know, that has the get up and go Mm -hmm. to be able to do that as well. That's it. I think you're drawing on so many different influences, both from your experience, what you're hearing, the immediate factors of the job, the day to day. And so you're kind of bringing it all together. Um, I think it's changing a bit. Seems like there is some education developing. People are advocating for that. But essentially, it seems like people are coming from a wide variety of backgrounds, Mm -hmm. bringing in a lot of different influences. um, And that's really shaping the roles that we have today. You know, reading the newspaper is really relevant to the day job in a way that it hasn't been in roles I've had before, because we are like part of a mechanism that moves the world on and shapes the world in the future. So I always say to like my team, like this is like a privilege that, I mean, even something as awful as what's happening in Morocco and Libya at the moment, like this is very relevant for us to step up and find our role in it. And I love that. I love the the relevance of of what we do in the, in the everyday. Beautiful segue to the (laughs) question I ask next is how does this role enable giving? And so you started to talk about that here. So I'm interested in both of your perspectives on this, but then also you're in the same organization. So how do these roles then work together with donations coming in and then donations going out in impacts? It might make sense for you to start, Philippa, because you're okay. you're bringing it in and then I'm, I'm we think about the out. journey. Yeah. yeah. Um, we often talk about the journey of give and grant in, in, at, at CAF. Um, and I suppose I would be at the end of give. So bringing money in. Um, so I mentioned a bit at the top about how we provide the infrastructure for businesses to hold their philanthropic capital. Um, and so um, part of what we do is 
work with them to make the case to be doing something in the first place, um, which is a very different conversation now to five years ago and then even more so to 10 years ago. Um, so helping them make that case, making the argument um, internally that they need to uh, get the budget. Um, then we can, help- I ask, can, I, can I ask there, like, what is the change over that course of time? What, what do they see differently now? I just think the idea of a business with purpose is much more, I, I'm thinking specifically of, of, of corporate philanthropy, I guess. So um, the idea of a business with purpose is is an idea that's changed shape a lot. Um, and I think going through things like COVID and cost of living crises, and then the increasing volume on the environment that we see everywhere, it just does make businesses think about well, certain businesses anyway, think about like their role in a better society and what they should do. And like years ago, maybe they would have written a big check or they would have definitely supported like their employees doing fundraising and and that as an engagement tool. But I think now we see so many thinking very strategically and long term about what they know, what skills they can bring, what and, and what funds they can deploy to really try and, and, and solve or attempt to solve some society's issues. So yeah, it's just it, the CSR team, as it used to be called, was used to be very much out, maybe on the on the on the edge, and now we see where it really works if they're like nicely integrated, or it sits as part of a strategic team, and it's part of a much closer to a business's overall strategy. And once we work with them, and we we um, the money comes over to CAF. The technical point is that that's it crossing the charitable threshold. So mm-hmm. any tax relief they can claim, they can then do. And then the money can sit with us while they work out their plan of what they want to do with it. Often they already have a very set idea about what they want to do. Um, but where they don't and where they need advice is the perfect point um, to work with Ashling's team. And often the whole journey of the money coming in is started by a great conversation with someone in Ashling's team as well. So maybe Ashling, you should this is take it from there. <laughs> <laughs> and and this is why it works so well because we really do work together. And I think that it's a it's an amazing kind of relationship in that in that in that client journey. But I think in terms of how um you know my team and how how we enable giving I think really we enable more informed better and more impactful giving in many respects and I think you know it there there is something that you see a lot with with organizations and with individuals as well is that there's this point where they know they want to give they might have already uh, identified their budget what it is that they're they're willing to give but then they're stuck because you're faced with the the the, the breadth of the sector you're faced with the the, the enormity of the problems that you're looking at you you and you just don't know where to start and i think that what we often can also do is unblock that and provide that clarity in terms of breaking down those problems understanding you know for what you have for your resources and for your budget what you could actually do and how you want to address that problem you know what is your theory of change and and then actually how you would how you would give and how you would give in in the most impactful way for what you have so I think a, a lot of what we really do is is break that down for them and give them that clear pathway because it, giving, you know, the, it's it's that old adage, giving well is actually really difficult. And, and I think that, you know, that shouldn't be underestimated. Mm. And and that, so that's really what we do. And, and we can provide very much, it's that strategic advice and helping, you know, helping them design that 
that giving strategy, but moving all the way to actually being able to deliver it for them. So you will have organizations in in the case of corporates, in, in Philippa's case, but also individuals, they just don't have the time or the expertise to run that grant making program or to run that social investment program. And we literally are the experts that can deliver that that for them. I think it's a really good point. I mean, it's just similar to um, ourselves coming into the sector. It's very opaque for donors. And as you said, the enormity of social challenges facing the world, how do you even start to think about chipping away with the donations they're making? I'm kind of curious, um, Ashling, on the comment you made, who do you see needing the most support? I would argue everyone <laughs> does need support. And and that's not that's not obviously just talking my own book, but I just think that, you know, there there's there's always things that we can learn and there are experts and professionals that can help you do it. And if you, you know, if you're going to do something and do it half-heartedly, you're not going to have as much impact as you could. And whereas if you really, you know, it is worth investing the time and the money in, in terms of, of having the most impact that you can. But I think that, you know, it really, it really depends. I think there are some individuals that are just not willing to admit that they need the help. I think they're, you know, you see people who are used to being, I suppose, very self-starting. You know, we have all the answers. I, I'm a successful business owner. I've already run my own business. I should be able to do this. I should be able to to give effectively. I should be able to be, a, you know, a good philanthropist. Um, but I think confronted with the reality of the situation, it can sometimes be a little bit of a shock. And then you have other people who are very happy in the way that they've always um, operated when it comes to their philanthropy. You know, they give to the same organizations in a, in a very sort of simple way. And, and I don't think we can criticize anyone for the type of philanthropy that they want to engage in. I think that Absolutely. it's just the message to get across is if you are, if, you know, ask yourself, are you, do you think that you're having as much impact as you could with what you're giving? If you feel that that the answer to that question is no, and you feel like you could be doing more, then that is where you can seek professional help to help you. I think that's a really great point. Thank you for that. Because I think, you know, there are as many varieties of philanthropy as anything. I mean, everybody has their unique style to giving. Um, and oftentimes they don't know there's help. Donors don't always know where to go for help, that there is help. Um, and it, again, even philanthropic advisory is sort of this new role, this new field. It's sort of opaque in itself. So I appreciate that you are mentioning that there is support out there. Um, and maybe if there's any resources you have, we can connect them in the, the pod sheet notes um, on this. All right. I I want to shift a little bit because I think we're starting to um, stir up some really good issues. I'm curious from both of your perspectives, what is the issue in philanthropy that you think most needs airing? We really need more measured, sensible debate on the power play that's inherent in philanthropy. Mm-hmm. And that's beyond the kind of populist let bash the rich kind of discourse that you get in, in the papers, because unfortunately, I don't think that's very helpful. Um you know, there is, I mean, we have to be clear about the fact that there is a lack of, um, and you've said it yourself, Michelle, opaqueness, there's a lack of transparency and accountability in philanthropy. And I'm I'm not trying to advocate for restricting any, you know, any giving or discouraging giving at all. And I really, truly believe that by having that freedom to allocate your philanthropic capital in the way that you want can actually lead to amazing transformational change and innovation. And it really can be a lifeline for sort of underfunded and underserved areas. However, I do think that we should discuss the inherent power balances that exist in philanthropy in a really measured and concrete and constructive way so that people are more informed about it and so that they're thinking about it. And, you know, with money comes, you know, 
with power and money comes responsibility. And I do think that the debate up till now has just been quite emotionally charged or sort of, you know, populist led really and, and not constructive. I think that's a really fair point. There's the element of pluralism, like we just mentioned in philanthropy, so many ways to do it. You don't want to disincentivize people from participating, from having the agency to participate in philanthropy. Um, And at the same time, you really do need to have these conversations about power and how that has come to be and what that looks like and means. I feel like both donors and beneficiaries kind of do understand this and maybe grapple with specific tactics on how to deal with it. And I think some of the trends in the field, trust-based philanthropy, participatory grant making, I think it's helping, but I also think it's trying to find a way for everybody to see themselves in those frameworks and activities. Philippa, what do you think? Yeah, I guess I, I would build on that transparency point a little bit, maybe naturally, I guess, from a corporate perspective um because i think especially when it comes to the environment but there's such a concern of doing something wrong or doing it in the wrong way and being called out on it that often then people don't say anything at all and so there can be no healthy debate or challenge of anything because nothing is open i've been to a few conferences post covid where it's the same small handful of people talking about what they're doing. Um, and there isn't so much of people being like, we're trying this or we're starting here. Um, and if we don't have that, then it does. it's not very encouraging more generally and more broadly. Um, and we saw it a bit. We um, did some research into the FTSE 100 and their giving. And in some instances, it was so challenging in their public documents to find the, the right the record and and the numbers of, of what they had done and some when like questioned on it didn't want to be too public about it and I guess some of that does come from this fear of it you know the accusation of greenwashing or or charity washing or doing something but if nobody put if nobody tries then we can't evolve and move on so um and that's yeah. really linked I think to you know something that we've been talking about in the sector for a while is actually being able to be honest about failures and things that don't go well without, you know, having that barrage of criticism that we should be able to learn from that. And, and that links think that's to that. Working? I was going to bring that up to you. Do you think the failure initiatives have, do you feel like they've increased the willingness to do so? How do you, because I feel like a couple of years ago, that was quite popular. And I it was know. quite popular and I don't, I haven't really seen much change or, you know, I I don't see enough of those failures being uh, shared, really, if I'm being completely honest. And I think there is a real risk averse nature, um, which is funny because, you know, when you think about philanthropic capital, it should be it should be the thing that you're using to be Mm -hmm. as risky as possible. You know, you can take those chances with it. But I I still think there is that, that. adversity to risk that still sits in the in the sector and and that's probably all linked to the kind of the criticism that you get that not wanting to share the failure yeah i i agree with you and i there's a piece of this too and i'm i'm not sure i don't think it's the the solution the total solution but i do wonder if there's enough time in the day for folks working in philanthropy to do self-reflection and so sometimes you get so far down you're just so busy right um it's a very privileged role to sit inside, you know, a grant maker or a foundation or in this way, but it's still busy. 
And I don't know if we've built in sort of self-reflection enough in sort of for individuals in their day, for organizations. I know we talk a lot about strategy, but I don't know how much that goes into um, sort of a much a learning mentality. I don't know how much that's applied. So I feel like there's this piece of if do we actually know what we want to say about failure or about learning? And then if maybe that's the first step in being able to articulate it and then share it publicly. All right. This is very fun. This is my favorite part, but this is the rapid fire. So I'm very curious about your uh, answers to these questions. Um, For both of you, what is the worst philanthropic jargon? Okay. Mine is very silly and it's not even strictly jargon. I think it's just the wrong use of the word, but it drives me mad when I see donators as a word instead of donors. When people just take donate and make it donators and I see it so much and it makes me think of some kind of robotic, (laughs) unhuman person, which is so far from how I picture a donor to be. So Yes. I have not seen Donator. It's like you haven't seen Donator? No. And there's a dance that goes with it. There is, there is. Yeah, it's such a shame this is this is not video. Um I absolutely yeah. that. We have okay. a lot of jargon, but that when I, when I thought, and I know it's not strictly jargon because it's not even a word, but uh, it drives me mad. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I'm glad you raised it. I think there's like an action figure that can be developed from that. Right? I feel like there, right? there's, the, there's a commercialization opportunity there. And now, Michelle, um, you're going to see the word donator everywhere. <laughs> I know. Now I'm going to be alive to it. Oh my gosh, I love it. All right, Ashling, what's yours? Mine, funnily enough, which is weird when you think about what I do, is impact. <laughs> Mainly so many because people it, have said it. That's have they? Uh, it feels like a word that's just you know it has a different meaning to so many different people, and is frequently misused and misunderstood. So I think that would be my, you know, it's it is jargon, and it is ultimately a word that is is poorly. poorly is there understood. any better word that you'd prefer to use? I mean, in your role, is there one that you? I mean, I do my, you know, even my job title has impact in it. So it is it is a word that I use a lot, but I think that we need to be clear about what, what that means. And I think you can, you know, you can probably talk about change and, and other things in certain circumstances. But but yeah, I, I would just use it carefully and be sure that everyone around the table understands what they're talking about when they're using it. I think this is a theme that's coming out of uh, this season is that impact is a jargon has been mentioned a lot. So I think it's a really key reflection piece to be like, how are we using it? Have we overused it and get more nuanced about what we mean by it? Um, Cause I think, yeah, several people have mentioned it now. So that's fascinating. The sector and needs I, to take notice. <laughs> I heard one of your guests, I think, or talk about it and like how it's got some inherent violence in it as a word. Like it's like, which is almost like the opposite of what you want it to have. So when you look at I've the meaning of the dictionary, like that before. it's yeah. collision, isn't it? It's right. collision. It's that idea of collision. So yeah, that, yeah, that's an interesting point, that inherent violence. Uh, I'm sure somebody's done research on how it came to the sector. I'm sure there's research out there about it, but I am curious, like, where did we adopt it from? Everybody sort of usually points to business, but I, I do see a lot of governmental sort of um, new public management influence in the sector. So I almost wonder if it's coming from that way as well. I think I'm, I'll have to go look for a paper on it. Mm-hmm, I'm sure it's mm-hmm. out there. Yeah, share um, it with us. Yeah, yes, please absolutely. do. <laughs> absolutely. All right. Well, then in a different direction, what do you think the most inspiring trend or person or project is in philanthropy right now? Uh, it's more a trend that I would like to see more of. Um, and for me, that's democratization of impact. And I know given what I've just said about impact, I shouldn't really be saying that. But I think it's that 
giving your average person access to more impactful giving solutions, more effective giving solutions. So it's not just the preserve of the corporates or the high net worth and ultra high net worth individuals. And also when we're talking about things like impact investing and actually being able to give them um, access to things that where they can they can see the change that their their money is bringing about. And I think it has been seen as a preserve of a certain strata of society. And I would like to see that democratized. So I suppose it's something I'd like to see more of. I think there are pockets of it, but um, I'd be really keen to see see that. Yeah, I would second that. I think that there's this business model in um, advisory services that doesn't quite get down to everybody else. And so everybody else, like you said before, everybody needs support in giving. Um, so how do we find a way to do that? Philippa, what would you say is the most inspiring trend? I think, and I guess naturally from what the work that I do um, it's the strategic giving side. So the FTSE research I mentioned before, we the recommendation that comes out of that is the giving the one percent um, of, of of pre-tax profit as a, as a as a guide or as a as a goal more um, when businesses are considering their budget and what they want to do. But then it's not enough to just I guess give that one percent. It's also then what you do with it. So it's the point of making it make sense, like aligning it to the overall strategy, ensuring that it has impact. Um, and and so it's those two those two pieces. So get like getting the budget right for the size of the organization and then and then really thinking about what you do with it. And we are seeing that like a lot more, the marry up of those two working really well. And then therefore these like really clean, clear, inspiring programs where, you know, a company that with like an example I can think of is like an organization we're working with in the real estate sector who is really trying to focus on broadening who works in real estate, but then also the impact of what they do has on their local community. So their program is very localized. It's very focused on education and employability. And it just really makes sense with how the business wants to see their sector in 20 years time. So it's there's something in it for them to do it, but they're also really creating a greater social value than what just their program is doing. All right. So then on this on this future looking question, what do you think the next needed role in philanthropy is? I'm going to pick up on that future point, actually, because I think that what could be really interesting is is having philanthropy focused futurists so who are actually able to look at, you know, who are dedicated to thinking about philanthropy of the future and thinking about the future trends and where it's going and how it's evolving. I mean, I know there are futurists out there, but I'm sure that they they focus on a much broader um, range of subjects. So actually having dedicated philanthropy futurists, I think. Could be, could be I do really know one. I know one. Do you? Oh, so it exists. Great. Okay. <laughs> well, then, then I've, uh, then, yeah, it doesn't Maybe need inventing. We, need we just need one. more of them. We will. <laughs> the, we need a merry band of philanthropy futurists. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> Philippa, what do you think? I mean, mine's a more immediate almost now, but um, I think there's a lot of debate in an organization about where the role of giving and purpose should sit. And some people see it as, you know, something that's like 
like a vertical all on its own and others I mean I think about it when I talk about it it's like IT when I was at school I had a lesson where I learned how to use a computer and now when you go to school you just use your computer for everything that you do and that's like my very poor analogy for it but you know where, where something like that is just part of what everyone in the organization does and it's part of their um their KPIs and how they hit targets and, you know, executives don't get their bonus until they've done their volunteering hours and, and, and just making it a super part of their culture. So I guess mine is like mulling on that role of like the chief, yeah, whatever it be, head of ESG, head of impact, head of within an organization and where that should sit and, and what their remit Head of purpose. Head of purpose. Oh, yes. Yeah. Ooh. I love that too, because I think what you've just articulated is exactly how your both of your roles come together. It's getting the businesses to be able to give and then think about strategically and right. how, oh gosh, I have impactfully, quote unquote, um, <laughs> how authentically, I suppose, how they want to give that money. And I think that that is having you both here to be able to speak about how that works together is, um, I'm so grateful for that. I want to thank both of you today for your time and for this conversation and for sharing how you work together and for sharing how you came into the sector. Cause I think that's fascinating how these pathways lead us into these roles for all the listeners. We will link resources and uh, contact information for Ashling and Philippa. And if you have any comments or questions, please feel free to reach out. We'll see everybody soon. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. As well, check out all the links and the resources in the show notes. If you are a woman in philanthropy and would like to share your story, please get in touch. That's all for this episode. See you next time.